Uh, please go to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Thank you. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Uh, we're in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Last week, we actually covered, I don't know, about five verses or so. We're going to slow down a little bit this week. And we're, we're making our way through the first chapter. Uh, but it's interesting because in 1 Timothy, he remember, he lives, leaves Paul, or Paul leaves Timothy at the church at Ephesus to command certain people not to teach strange doctrines. And he's trying to protect that early church. One of the biggest enemies of the church is false doctrine, not only coming from without, but coming from within the church. And then... Paul goes on to tell Timothy, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, verse 5. A good conscience, right? And a sincere faith. And these three things make up a, a real, a, a, you know, biblical Christianity. And then he goes into verses 6 and following. So we covered all the way through 6 through 11 last week. And we looked at the main false teaching that he seems to be concerned about. Uh, there's different false teachings that will come up. In 1 Timothy and then 2 Timothy, the nature of them and so forth. But the first one he really spends some time on, and that is those who are teaching the law of Moses. And we get to verse 12 and following. We won't really appreciate verses 12 and following the way we ought to unless we understand the context in which they come. So in verses 6 through 11, which we covered last time we were together, last Wednesday, we saw that there were certain people that were bringing people under the law of Moses. We get at least that much out of what was going on there. Uh, at the church at Ephesus, you would know exactly what he meant if you got this letter. Uh, but we're able to put some pieces together. God's given us enough, obviously, because this was written for us as well. And we know that they were misusing the law. And they were applying the law of Moses, which was given by God to Moses at Mount Sinai, with about 613 laws by the Jewish rabbinical count. And they were causing or claiming that believers had to follow these laws. We saw in Acts 15, the book of Galatians, these were big problems in the early church where people were trying to bring them under the old covenant, even though Christians are not under the old covenant, we're not under the law of Moses, we're under the law of who? The law of Christ, amen. We're under the new covenant. We talk about the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, probably better called Old Covenant because that's what it's referring to, and the New Covenant. I wish, they would have, I wish that terminology would have caught on instead of Old Testament, New Testament, honestly. But when you hear Testament, we're talking about covenant. We're not under the Old Covenant. And you notice that Paul said that the law was not given for the righteous, but for who? For the unrighteous. And he mentions murderers and kidnappers and this group of wicked people. And it's, as Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, it's a tutor or a schoolmaster, as the King James has it. Tutor is probably a better word. A, you know, like a nursemaid, really, to bring them to Christ. And when you're under the law, you start to recognize, man, I'm in trouble because I've broken God's laws, and that's everybody. You recognize that you have to, you need to, get, you need to be saved. And it's a school teacher or a schoolmaster or a tutor that leads us to Christ. Even as Paul said when he was trying to keep the law in Romans 7, he goes through a biological sketch of his life, and he says when he became aware as, as a child, and he became aware of God's law, that uh, as a Jewish boy, and the Jewish, Jews, Jewish boys would be bar mitzvahed, and that would be age of accountability. When they were come to an age where they realized that they had to keep God's law, age of accountability, little kids don't really get that. But guess what? He said, when I became aware of the law, he said, it, it killed me. 
I was alive, but I died. Somehow spiritually. And that's why we need to be born again. Because our disobedience to God destroys us. It kills us. Remember that? And then Paul said, the things I didn't want to do, I did. The things I didn't want to do, you know, the things I didn't want to do, I did. The things I did want to do, I didn't do. I didn't have the power. And then he says, oh, who will save me? Wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? Who's going to save me? And he said, thanks be to who? The Lord Jesus Christ. The law led him to Christ. It's powerful. Amen? Now, non-believers, they're not under the Mosaic law. They don't know Jesus, but they're under the moral law of God. And the Mosaic law in the Old Testament also contains the moral law of God. In the law of Christ, the New Testament, the New Covenant, you have nine of the Ten Commandments repeated, amen? amen. So you have, that's part of the law of Christ. I personally believe that the law of Christ is the New Covenant law. And it's expressed through loving God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbors, yourself. But we don't try to keep the law to be what? Saved. We're saved by what? By the new covenant blood of Christ that was shed on our behalf. God's grace, amen. But we seek to keep the new covenant law because we love him. And at 1 John 5, 3, it says, you know, this is love of God, that we obey his commandments and they're not burdensome. So we love him because he first loved us, it says. He was forgiven much, loves much, right? That's the lifestyle we should have is that, man, I want to obey the, the new covenant law and faith without works is dead, Amen. And Jesus said, if you love me, you obey my commandments. So if I'm truly in the faith, I truly love Jesus, my life is going to be marked by obedience, amen, and, and holiness. But I'm not to put, supposed to try to keep the Old Testament law. And I'm not even trying to keep the New Testament law to be, to be right with God. I'm trusting in Jesus to be right with God, putting my faith in Christ. But because I'm putting my faith in Christ, I'm following him. If I'm truly following him, I will be obeying the law of Christ, the New Testament, amen. Not perfectly, none of us will be perfect until Jesus comes. But sin won't be normal in our lives, like we're just in rebellion to God all day long, amen? It'll be the exception, amen? And righteousness should be the norm that we're walking and following after Christ. So when you understand the context of those first 11 verses that we just talked about for five minutes or so, then you can understand and appreciate what Paul's going into now. Because now he's contrasting his life as having been commissioned by God and the transformative power of God's grace in the gospel, right? Through Christ Jesus, the new covenant, with what these guys were peddling, who he says didn't even know what they were talking about in verses six through 11. And Paul begins by saying in verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord. Usually when Paul gives thanks, it's to the Father in heaven, but occasionally it's to Christ Jesus, our Lord. They're both great to thank, amen? I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he has considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a what? A blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because what? I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am the foremost of all, or King James, the chief of sinners. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me, the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. So he begins verse 12 by saying he thanks the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, I continue to read, even though we're going to focus a lot on verse 12. Like I mentioned, last week we covered a lot of verses. This week we're going to slow down a little bit because I really wanted to hone in on verse. This is a, such an uh, uh, instructive verse, verse 12, for our Christian walks to really get our brains around, to really encourage you in your walk with Jesus. And verses 13 through 16, uh, we'll get into next time. Uh, and they're heavy, beautiful, powerful, just heart, you know, just cause your heart to well up theology of God's grace and Paul and thereby from Paul or through Paul as an example to us. That if Paul, the chief of sinners, you keep in mind, the main, you know, the main enemy of the church, of course, is Satan, but the main human enemy of the church that stood out in the first century was the apostle Paul. He wasn't like his instructor Gamaliel in the book of Acts, who is like, hey, if it's of God, it'll It'll grow. If it's not of God, it'll just peter out. Don't worry about it. He's convinced Christianity is not of God. Don't worry about it. Nope. That was enough for Paul. And by the way, it didn't peter out because it is of God. Uh, even though it's not the best logic because pragmatism can also lead to false conclusions. It was the right conclusion there. Uh, but his disciple, Paul, the Pharisee, was a zealot. He, was far, he wanted to butcher the church, and he was literally having Christians killed. When you read Acts chapter 7, and Stephen is being stoned to death by an organized stoning, who's the one who's leading the stoning? Do you remember? The Apostle Paul. In fact, when the Lord appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus, he was going to Damascus to go have Christians killed. He mentions that he'd go to their homes, they'd drag him out of their homes, and he'd cause them to blaspheme Christ. Can you imagine living with that? That you cause people to turn away from Christ? And uh, he, you know... He says he was a violent aggressor, a persecutor, a blasphemer, all these things. And when we get to these texts and we actually study his testimony more about what he talks about, you start putting the things together in different places, which I've done before, and you start looking at Paul's life, you're like, wow. And no wonder he thought of himself as the chief of sinners. He couldn't think of a worse person than himself because of <clears throat> his hatred toward God and it being demonstrated through his persecution of the church. Lord, help me get through this. <coughs> or help Steve or Nick fill in later. We'll see. So uh, anyway, now it's pretty heavy because he starts out by saying, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. I mean, shouldn't he be thankful? Being set free after deserving radical judgment because of just killing God's people, people that Christ died for. He should be dead meat. God would be just to wipe him out. God would be just to give him a special place in hell, actually. But God, in his grace and mercy, sent his son to die for Paul and for everybody. Whosoever will may come, amen? So he starts by saying, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. And by the way, sandwiched between that and one other verse is what I just read. After verse 16, he goes on to give more praise. Look what he says in verse 17. Now to the king, eternal immortal to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So he's continuing with his thanks. He's continuing with praise. And brothers and sisters, we need to have more thanksgiving in our lives. We need to be more grateful for what we have. We need to be more grateful for our redemption. And so many people are anti-Christ. They're clueless as to the fact that Christ gave them breath. God not only created them, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But God became a man in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for their sins and they should be thankful 
But it reminded me, I heard a story that just made my stomach turn. You know, my dad is a World War II vet, and I know that uh, uh, the, the vets that actually laid down their lives, he survived the war. He was in the Philippines, going to be dropped off in, in Japan as a paratrooper. And the atom bombs stopped that war. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't be born. He didn't know my mom yet, didn't have any kids. And, but it's interesting that uh, D-Day, you know, a lot of Americans lost their lives there, and there's a bunch of graves there. Uh, Doug Stapleton did a movie that you can check out, uh, The Mother of Normandy, about a woman who took care of those graves. But I remember reading a story some years ago about a bunch of uh, just people that were upset with the United States, and they went into the, a graveyard of our servicemen that they were, is over there, that gave their lives, gave their lives to a foreign country to free them from the Nazis, and they kicked over their, their, their crosses and their tombstones and everywhere, just in graffiti. And I thought, wow, you wouldn't even be here probably, you know? And, uh, and, and, and I thought, that's how I was. I was like that before I came to Christ because I was anti-God. I was anti-Christ. And I didn't know what Jesus did for me. I didn't understand it. That's an ugly thing. It's really an ugly thing. But once you know what the Lord's done for you, you, you start to become very, very thankful when you start to see how beautiful and wonderful uh, the Lord is. Uh, I had read in 1988, a Polish uh, railroad worker uh, named Jan Grzybski, uh and he went into a coma. He was a railroad worker. He got hit by a train, but he survived, but he barely survived. And he was a co- in a coma for 19 years. And then he came out of that coma and he was so grateful to be alive, but he wasn't just grateful that he came back to life, but in 19 years, things had changed radically because guess what? When he went into the coma, they were under communism. Communist Russia, remember that? 1988, Glasnost and all that. Tear down this wall, Mr. Gorbachev, and all that stuff. One small step for man. Oh, no, that's another thing. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But you remember, tear down this wall, some of you, in Berlin. So it's interesting, uh, but things were different. Because when he woke up, people weren't in these super long gas lines because of communism. All kinds of people had gone prior to that to the gulags. Polish had, been, had a lot of animosity against the Russians, the communists. What's happening right now, right, in uh, Ukraine. But this was when you had the Soviet Union and they were taking over a lot of places. And he remembered they were rationing meat, you know. You could barely get any meat at all. And Europeans don't eat much meat as it is. I've been there a number of times. It's like, where's the beef, you know. So, but, uh, wow, they're not having to ration the meat now. Uh, he's like, wow, there's no gas lines. He noticed people were on their mobile phones. They never saw mobile phones. And he said that people were on the streets with cell phones. (laughs) And he says, there are so many good things in the shops. It makes my head spin. But he was puzzled too. You know what he said as well? He said, what amazes me is all those people, these people walk around with their mobile phones and yet they never stop moaning. And he was blown away because he remembered people were more thankful in 1988 when they could just have a little bit. Now they seem to have everything at their fingertips. And he's just hearing a bunch of people complaining all the time. And it's a lesson, you know, that if you don't give thanks to God for what you do have, in time you'll eventually start complaining about what you don't have. And we want to make sure we're thankful because he was so thankful for the newfound freedom he had. Wow, I'm alive and I'm free. How much more should we be thankful that we are not only physically alive, but 
spiritually alive, amen? It's as ugly as our government's getting right now. And we'll, I'm going to be talking probably about Roe versus Wade uh, Sunday a little bit because mothers are the greatest, you know, besides Jesus, the greatest gift is mothers bringing life into the world, you know? And, uh, but, man, pray about that. Definitely pray because the forces of darkness are just really shrieking right now. And this leak that happened of what, you know, that's not an accident, obviously. There's always, you know, and uh, man, I always have to keep the end of the book in mind. In the end, God wins, Jesus wins, Satan goes lake of fire, we win with the Lord, amen? But uh, right now, we're called to fight the good fight, amen? Occupy till he comes, lay hold on the eternal life, take a stand, right, for righteousness. Now, it's interesting because we don't want to be grumblers. We want to be those who are thankful. Look how thankful Paul, Paul just, when you read Ephesians chapter one, I've studied Ephesians the entire book, but chapter one's a trip because in the Greek, you know, it's a, uh, you know, I'm not obviously, a, I'm not a Greek scholar. There's people that just specialize in Greek and so forth, but I can, I can read Greek slowly, you know, and as I, and it's like there's no periods, not that they had periods, right? But there's no break in the, Paul's praise and worship for several verses in a row. It's almost like an awkward verse, but he's just, it's not because he's gushing forth spirit-led praise and thanksgiving because of us being saved, the church being saved, those who are in Christ Jesus, amen, and God's plan from ages past and how he predestined us in Christ as the adoption of sons and sealed us by the Holy Spirit. It's just so beautiful, and we need to be more about praise and thanksgiving, amen? Now, notice what Paul says. He says that he's thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ who has done what in verse 12? Who has what? Strengthened me. Notice that? He strengthened me. And you can think, well, yeah, God gives us strength and that's how we get through our day. But that's, Paul's not talking about mere physical strength. The Bible does say, as your day is, so shall your strength be. Meaning what God has for you, he's going to give the strength for you. Well, I had to get this done, but I didn't have the strength. Well, you're seeking the Lord, he'll give you the strength. And if you didn't have the strength, don't worry because God's in control and he'll give you the strength to get through what you need to get through, you know what he wants to get through to, be, to do his will. But he strengthened me. And Paul gives him thanks because he strengthened him. He empowered him. Now, Paul waited on the Lord. If you go through the book of Galatians chapter one, you'll see that Paul spent a few years in Arabia before he went down to Jerusalem. And he was seeking the Lord. He was waiting on the Lord. You know, getting to know the Lord. And he waited on him. And the name of this message today is the secret of waiting upon the Lord. The secret of waiting on the Lord. And we need to, that's a lost secret today. It's not really a secret if you read your Bible. But because most people don't do it and most professing Christians don't wait on the Lord because people are in panic mode. Whenever they want, it, want something, it's like, I got to get done now. And they don't wait on the Lord. And it's really detrimental to your walk with the Lord if you're not patient and you don't wait on the Lord. It's a very serious thing, you guys. Wait in the Lord. We're going to talk about what that is because the Bible over and over and over again addresses the importance of waiting on the Lord. And do you wait on the Lord? Are you waiting on the Lord? Is that part of your Christian walk? And if you are, praise God. If you're not, I want to encourage you. It's something wonderful that you need to start implementing into your Christian life. Because today, everybody wants instantaneous gratification, right? Immediate gratification, man. I've got to have it now. And that's the way our society's built. Somebody's hungry, what do they do? 
Grubhub, right? Yeah. Or you just pull something out of the fridge and they didn't have refrigerators back in those days. You heat it up in the microwave, boom, lose all your nutrients and everything. I mean, I do that once, so I try not to do too much. But, you know, but in the old days, man, you could just, you'd have to go hunting, you know, and go kill the animal. Or you'd have to raise an animal for years, right? Or chickens, I can get eggs pretty quick, right? But you'd have to just take time. And, and it was time, and you'd get the animal, then you had to clean it, right? To clean up, uh, just cook it, bake a fire. You realize how easy we have it. I mean, the olden days, you'd have to go through a whole lot to get good meat and, or to get even vegetables or fruit, right? A lot of times you have to plant a garden and what have you. Water, oh, you just go to the tap, that's oh, easy. No. I'll buy a refrigerator, I got some bottled water. No. You have to go to the well. And a lot of, usually your well wasn't in your yard either, right? Even going to the bathroom. Okay, I'm not going to get into that, but it was harder too. Okay? In the olden days, it was. In the olden days, long time ago, to watch a movie, you had to go to Blockbuster and rent it, you know? And you get these things, they, they were called videos, you know? And you'd watch them and then it said, please be kind and rewind, you know? Take more time, right? And in the olden days, it was a lot. Now everything is just there. Boom, 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 boom. You just have it. And that, a lot of times, people want that to happen with their spiritual walk. Now, praise God, the very moment you put your trust in Jesus, right, you're saved. Praise God, that's more instantaneous than anything we just talked about, right? You can't just go to Netflix and live stream uh, as fast as God makes you born again when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's a beautiful thing. But spiritual growth and discovering God's uh, more specific will for our lives takes prayer, takes waiting on the Lord, takes time, takes seeking him, you know? And I, I love it because he said he, he strengthened me. He, I, give, I, I thank the Lord Jesus Christ who has strengthened me. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service how do we get strengthened? By Jesus Christ. Philippians 4.13 says, remember that verse? I could do what? All things. I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Wow. You know, and how many of you love power tools rather than just regular hand ratchet tools? Steve's hand went way up. You know, is I praise God for power tools. When we go to like Mexico and we build houses over there, Thank God we're not having a, <coughs> you know, with a saw, right? And you got the nail guns and everything else, you know? For little projects, it's not a big deal, but I used to do what's called punch-out work. And that was my job for a while before I was a tile setter. And that means when houses are just about ready, all the stuff the trays don't finish, you have to go finish the um, baseboard. Half the baseboard didn't get done in that house because that, they just had to go. You go do the baseboard, a drywall patch or whatever. And I thought, man, if I didn't have my power tools, I remember when I was trying to put cooktops in, thick, dense oak wood, these, you know, and it was thick, and I had a, I didn't have a Makita, I won't say the other brand, Black & Decker, it just wasn't a good drill. And other guys had Makitas, but those cost 125 bucks. Back in those days, it's like 350 bucks. And I'm like, and I knew I could, and now, at least I had a Black & Decker, and I'd borrow my buddies, hey, can I use your Makita? Just, you know. And you know what? If I was doing that with my bare hands, what a bummer. I couldn't, I wouldn't, I'm a pretty big, strong guy. But man, that would be a lot of work. I don't know if I'd get one in 
one, one before I butcher that entire, you know, screw. Just getting in one screw would be tough. Praise God for power tools. Well, guess what? How many Christians are trying to walk their walk with power in their, their flesh? You were not meant to walk the Christian walk in your own power. You yourself and I, we cannot live the Christian life. Absolutely impossible to live your Christian life on your lonesome, on your own. You have to do it by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, no longer I that live, but who? Christ that lives in me. It's Christ that lives through me. Amen? Amen. The life that I now live, he says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we live by the power of Christ. I do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But if you're not praying throughout the day, if you're not waiting on him and seeking him as you go throughout your day, you're going to be walking in your own power. And that's not a good thing. Acts 1.8, Jesus commissioned the apostles to go out and share the gospel. He said, but you will receive power. The Greek word is dunamis, dynamite. We get dynamite from that. You will receive dunamis when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. Wow. After you receive what? You receive what? Power. So they were supposed to go into Judea and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, but they weren't supposed to go until they received what? Power. As Christians, we must rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And then, remember Matthew chapter 24, verse, or 28, 19 and 20, last two verses of the, of, of, of the Gospel of Matthew? You know, that's where Jesus is going to all the world, right? Teaching them to observe all things that have commanded you, right? He also said, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and just before that, he said, making disciples of all the nations. And lo, I'm with you always, verse 20, even to the end of the age. Wow. Go and do all this. A tremendous work. We're called to evangelize the world. We're getting closer. And when we finally get it done, the gospel kingdom is preached in all the worlds and witnessed to all the nations. We're told in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, then the end will come. But verses 19 and 20, the end chapter 28, the last chapter of Matthew, the verse right before that, you know what Jesus says? All power in heaven and earth is given unto me. So he's letting us know. He's with us. He wants to empower us. But if you go and try to evangelize your own power, or you try to use you know, human methods that aren't God-ordained, there's not going to be good fruit. There's not going to be, you know, we ought to be praying as Paul prays in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. He says, pray for us that the word of God would spread rapidly, right? And God would be glorified. Amen. We should be praying for that. Elsewhere, pray that the word of God, you know, would, that we'd speak boldly. And there's constantly praying. They prayed in the book of Acts chapter four. And it says that the building was shaken when they were praying and the word of God spread. We have power tools at our disposal. Reminds me of a story I shared years ago where a guy who loves fishing, uh, he's a great fisherman. People did not know why he left with all the fish. He's one of those guys. You know, I've been around certain guys that fish and you're doing the same thing they're doing and you can't understand why they're pulling up all the fish. You know, another story, just, I wasn't gonna tell this story, but a little side. You ever do the ice fishing? You cut the hole in the ice and then you throw your hook in with the bait and I did that with a guy for like three hours. He caught like 25 fish, I didn't even get one bite. Every time I did exactly what he did and I go, what are you doing halfway through? He's like, mm. I'm like, what do you mean? He's not even talking, he's not telling you a secret. Mm. Mm. At the end he goes, I'm like, you got all the fish, we're going away. I'm like, you know, he goes, he goes, you got to keep your bait warm. I'm like, whoa, man, 
No, that's not a true story. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, guys. <laughs> but the story I was going to tell, I'm sorry. That's, I think I heard that in elementary school and just remembered it all these years. It impressed me back then. <laughs> uh, but, you know, he goes fishing this other guy, okay, and he would come back with his limit every day. And a lot of guys get skunk, experienced fishermen. They didn't know what was going on. And Jesus called us to be fishers of men, meaning souls, right? And, and the game warden knew something was up because on the worst days, he'd still get his, he'd get his. And the game warden decided he was going to follow him because he'd go in and out of these coves, you know, in a big old lake. He's following him. And he'd go areas and people couldn't even stay up with him. He'd get into these areas and just get lost in the fog. Game warden's got his binoculars on him. All of a sudden, he lights a stick of dynamite. Throws it in the water. And when you do that, guess what? The concussive power of TNT kills fish, and they float to the top. And he kind of gets all these fish, sticks them in his bag, leaves. Well, he wants to leave, but the game warden, man, comes up on him. You're busted. I caught you red-handed. And he's just about ready to light a stick. One more hurrah before he just goes. He lights it anyway. The guy goes, what are you doing? He throws it to the game warden. The game warden's like, he catches it. He goes, and he says to the game warden, are you just going to sit there or are you going to fish? And the game warden went fishing for a second. So, but the key is like, well, that's illegal. Yeah, you don't want to do that. Don't get any weird ideas, okay? But guess what? Biblically, God wants us to use the spiritual dynamite. Amen? He wants us to use, he wants us to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And when we don't pray, when we don't cry out to the Lord and we don't seek him and we just try to be a witness as we go through our day, but we're not seeking God at all, we're not relying on the spiritual dynamite that God has for us. And we're wondering why we're skunked. First of all, we have to get the bait out, amen? First of all, we have to get the hooks in the water, amen? I mean, I learned that you could, when you go deep sea fishing, and I can't make this one, I, the guys had picked a date, I felt, oh man, I wish I would have known what, uh, what they would have asked me, but you can't do that with every guy because I had my little, one of my grand, Russell's uh, grand uh, birthday party, and I don't want to say oh, I went over here because I want to do that instead of be with my little grand boy. So I'm going to miss you guys when you're, you, that's this Saturday, right? But I'll be praying you get something. But you know what? I learned, man, if you, you can legally, I think it's, it's legal, right, to have Jonathan have two hooks in the water? Is that legal? It's legal. And that's smart. Why not? Is it legal to have more than two? You can have up to five, Jimmy? For rock cod? Oh, that's cool. I'm not sure if John, Jonathan agrees with you back there, but he's smiling, but maybe that's true. Okay, don't look it up now. Just listen to the message, guys. Anyway, but I'm like, I'm like when, I, when you have two, it's like, you know, that's the way we should be spiritually is, Lord, at least to help us have a fish in the water. One thing I learned when I watched other guys, you learn from people that know how to fish. You're like, wow, I noticed that they get their fish off and they get the hook back in the water quick. They're always, you know, they're going to get a lot more fish that way. I remember one of the times we went elk hunting. I think Joe and I were on one side and Kim Richmond was on the other side. He's a pastor friend of ours from Simi that moved uh, to another town. He's actually out in Colorado now. And we're watching Kim because we've hunted with Kim before. And he's like hoofing it. He's like, just, he's a great, he's a great hunter, right? And I think we all got our elk that year, you know. Was that that year we all got our elk? It was another year. Oh, Joe said, he, Joe only got one this big, he said. You, you never mess with the guy with the mic, Joe. <laughs> Actually, Joe likes to make a lot of jokes about other people's elk, so it's pretty funny. But when we were in a cabin together, actually it was a little like, a, what was that, a little trailer? 
<laughs> and Joe, Joe had a little mouse running across his face. Remember that? He goes, oh, it freaked him out, man. I go, that, that wasn't that little. It was bigger than your elk, you know? But uh, <laughs> that's what you do when you go hunting with guys. But uh, no, Joe got bigger elk than me, I think. But we were tripping on a kid. We're like, that's how he finds his game. He's a really smart hunter, but he covers a lot of ground. And I thought, wow, that's impressive. We're kind of chumming along, hanging out. Have a great, it was a great time. But he's like, I'm like, dude, man, he's covering a lot. Because the more ground you cover, the more you can scope and you can find. And guys, that's how we need to be spiritually. Amen? We need to get out there and try to win souls. I want to challenge you. The Bible says, he that is wise wins souls. You know, we have a bunch of tracks. They're free for you guys. Well, we all pay for them together, really, right? But the church gets tracks, and, and we can grab tracks and, you know, have tracks on you, have cards on you, maybe, or different ways you can witness to people. But we need to do that more. But I also pray, God, give me wisdom. Lord, give me divine appointments. We wait on him and say, Lord, please, for this person, I want to keep praying for this person. You have certain people that can be part of your prayer list that you're targeting through your prayers to be one to Christ, amen? Uh, and then people that you pray for, especially strong at certain times. And then you pray for divine appointments. I can tell you right now, I still pray for divine appointments, but when I go street witness, I pray for divine appointments. I can't tell you how many times I've had, I'm like, being the person I'm talking to you, this must be a God thing. I can't believe I'm talking to you. But if I don't pray that, that doesn't happen as much. I'm not saying you always have to pray those words, but I, when I throw that in there and I say, Lord, please give me divine appointments or give the group divine appointments, it's just amazing what happens. So we need to be about the Father's business because uh, we want to re- make sure we're relying on the Lord's power. He tells Timothy, now to the king, which we read, verse 17, eternal, immortal. God's eternal, man. He's immortal. He has all power. He tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7 that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, we read, Paul says to Timothy, or 2 Timothy 2.1, he says, you therefore, my son, be strong, listen to this, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So God's grace empowers us. God's grace gives us strength. This is what Paul says to Timothy about grace, the power of God's grace in 2 Timothy 4.16, when nobody had stood with him. At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me, Paul says. May it not be counted against them, verse 17. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Catch that? But the Lord stood with me. Now think about that. That's the Lord God standing with him. And he strengthened me so that through me, the proclamation, that is of the gospel, might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The Lord rescued him out of the lion's mouth. So Paul would wait on the Lord. He would seek the Lord. And he would be empowered by the Lord. And listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do far, far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. Isn't that awesome? According to the power of the Holy Spirit, God can do way beyond, far beyond that which you could even imagine. Well, he created the entire universe, Right? So you can imagine powerful things when you think about that. But it's even beyond that. We can't get our brains around how powerful God is. And Ephesians 6.10, right before he says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and so forth, he says in verse 10, be strong in the Lord and the what? The power of his might or the power of his dunamis. So we need to be strong and powerful in Christ so we can preach the gospel. Amen. So we'd be delivered from the lion's mouth so we can stand against the forces of darkness. Amen? 
So there's all kinds of reasons you and I ought to be crying out to the Lord and waiting upon him and seeking his power. In Romans chapter 8, verse 11, listen to this. Paul says, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. The same spirit of God that rose Jesus from the dead, he says, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. Wow. You ever hear that song by uh, Jeremy Kemp, Same Power? It's a great song. The way he sings it's just beautiful. And uh, it's same power. Same power that rose Christ from the dead lives in us. And Paul says this, listen to this in Ephesians 1, 19 and 20. What does he pray? Well, I also pray. Now, how do we acquire this power? Follow Paul's example. He says this, I also pray. Paul says, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. So we ought to be praying. I believe the same thing. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power to us who believe in him. He wants us to comprehend that power. He says, this is the same mighty power. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Wow. So he wants us to comprehend how radical the powers we have available to us. The same power that rose Christ from the dead, and not just rose him from the dead, as heavy as that is, but also propelled him, ascended him to heaven. You know? You don't have any kind of rocket ship that could empower someone to the third heaven, okay? But you have the power of the Holy Spirit, which is far more powerful than any energy that NASA has, amen? And that's, but God wants us to use that power to win souls, Amen? To live righteously. To encourage people in Christ. One of my life verses, and I've been sharing one of my life verses with you, in 1 Timothy 1.5, right? That the goal of our instruction is what? Love from what? A pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. But you know another one of my life verses, especially as a pastor? It's Colossians 1.28. Listen to this. We proclaim him. That is, we, believers, not just leaders, we proclaim Jesus, admonishing or warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. That's one of my life verses. Every leader, Christian leader should have that and as a life verse. That we proclaim him. What do I proclaim up here all the time? Jesus, Amen. And he says, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. Be holy as he is holy. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And that's how we obtain that power is the very next verse. Listen, to this end, Paul says, I also labor. I also labor, striving with all his energy, working powerfully within me. Catch that? I strive with all his energy working powerfully within me. The power of the Holy Spirit, God wants to, he longs to use you. He longs to make you more and more like Jesus. He already saved you by his grace through faith, amen. Now he longs to use you. He longs to have more of us. He longs to empower us to open our mouths to share the gospel. And if you're like, man, but I just can't, well, yeah, that's the point. We can't do it on our own. I can guarantee you that I never, ever dreamed of doing what I'm doing right now, okay? And I never thought I even had the personality or that whatever to, sh- yeah. but when I became a Christian, I knew I had to tell people because I didn't know any Christians and I had to witness everybody and I'd pray, God, give me words, give me wisdom, help me know what to say. And before you knew it, you couldn't shut me up. 
because he answered those prayers. Remember Moses? I can't go talk to Pharaoh. That's Pharaoh, man. I can't even talk. I have a speech impediment. He says, go. He says, I'll be with your mouth. Amen? He'll be with your mouth. He'll empower you with the same power in which he created the universe and rose Jesus from the dead and ascended him to his right hand. Amen? So we pray for him to empower us. It's just a, a beautiful, beautiful thing. Now, we know in 2 Timothy chapter 3, last days it says perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of self and so forth. But it says they'll have a form of godliness. This is talking about professing Christians in the church. It's happening today. So many people claim to be Christians and we're here, man. They'll have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. The Greek word's dunamis. I mean, I usually give, uh, I appeal to Strong's once in a while, but I usually appeal to more you know, deeper dictionaries, but Strong's two-word definition for dunamis is miraculous power. And we live in a time where people deny the inspiration of God's word. They deny miracles. They deny you know, anything. And they claim to be Christians today. And they live wicked lifestyles. And they, you know, they're for gay marriage. They're for all kinds of behavior that's ungodly. They're pro-abortion often. There's churches right here in town that are pro-baby killing and claim to be Christian. There's more than one church in town that believes it's okay to kill babies in the womb. And they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. And when you start denying God's word and its authority over you, then you're in trouble. So we need to rely on Christ's power. We need to rely on Christ's power when it comes to dealing with sin, when it comes to different so-called addictions to drugs, where the body can become addicted to a drug and you don't have power in of yourself to overcome it. But you do in Christ. Or power for, of the, the power of lust in a person's life to where Satan is alluring you or seducing you into looking at things you ought not be looking at. Well, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 26 to his apostles, he said, he said, can you not pray one hour with me, right? But he also said, pray that you do not enter into temptation. The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak, Amen. So we need to pray to overcome certain desires that are wicked. And through the power of prayer, we can crush those things. I mean, read Psalm 50, or Isaiah 58. The power of fasting breaks the chains, you know? You can break chains that hold you and, or hold other people bound. Remember somebody really close to me was going through some really heavy stuff and I was crying out to God. That person, my wife and I fasted and we'd been crying out to God off and on for some time. And we'd been waiting on the Lord, but not the way... My wife's like, you know, we've been praying about this particular situation for some time. But she goes, you know, I, I don't think we've, have we fasted? I said, no, I don't think we have on this issue. We started fasting on the issue within a week. Boom. Now, my wife came to me the next day. She goes, we fasted yesterday and nothing's happened yet. I go, well, we got to be patient. But I love seeing her faith. She was like, I'm believing the Lord, right? You know, I'm fasting. I'm like, well, let's see what the Lord does. You know, we don't, you know, obviously we can't change someone's will and, you know, but boom, man, I can't even tell you it was, I, Explain, explain the story a long time ago in more detail, but it was so dramatic. We're like, only a God thing, only a God thing. It was wow. And that boundage was broken in that person through fasting. That's one way you wait on the Lord. Prayer, you wait on the Lord through fasting. Now notice in verse 12, he says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me what? He considered me faithful. Isn't that interesting? He strengthened me because he considered me faithful. Now, this is Paul, the apostle, who's the most unfaithful person around because he's having Christians killed. Yet, how, when did the Lord consider him faithful? Well, it had to be in his foreknowledge that he knew that Paul would have a change of heart, that Paul would repent, 
And see, when God saves people, it says he, that those who are chosen are the elect or chosen according to God's foreknowledge. He foreknows who's going to reject him and who's going to receive him. He's God, you know? And I believe he also considered that, hey, Paul, he had a, before Paul was even born, he got it already in his mind, uh, set him apart from his mother's womb, even though he knew he was going to go wicked. He already had a plan. And he knew Paul would be faithful. And Paul said when he gives his testimony, he said in the book of Acts, he says, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. He had a vision. He could have been disobedient to it. But he says, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. And Paul was faithful. And you guys, if we're going to be strengthened by the Lord, when you look at this verse, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who strengthened me because he considered me faithful. It's not unconditional. God just doesn't strengthen you and empower you for service unconditionally. You have to seek him. You don't just end up, wake up born again someday. But he's rewarded those who diligently seek him, amen? He's rewarded those who diligently seek him. And you shall seek me, you shall find me when you seek me with all your heart. You have to, in your heart, say, Lord, I want you to be first. And then as a Christian, you say, Lord, please use me to your glory. And he wants to use you mightily to his glory. But you have to be faithful. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. Let a man so consider us, Paul says, as servants of Christ and stewards or servants of the mysteries of God. Verse, 20, verse 2, listen. Moreover, it is required in servants that one is found to be faithful. You know what? I, I, God just wants you to be faithful what he's called you to. Well, you know, he's only giving me a little bit. Why does he give me more? He that's faithful in little will be what? Faithful in much. Be faithful with what he's given you, and he'll give you more. The Bible says promotion doesn't come from the east to the west, but it comes from the Lord, saith the Lord. Amen? He's the one that gives it. So seek him and be faithful in what he's given you, what he's called you to. And even what you might consider little is huge in God's eyes. He rejoices in his heart when just one sinner, it says, comes to repentance. There's joy in heaven. Amen? When one cold glass of water is given to somebody in Christ's name, he will not lose his reward, Jesus said. God notices that stuff. It's a big deal. Big deal left for him not only to write it down or to put it in the books for rewards later, but for him to communicate it to us. We should not despise, it says in the book of Job, the day of small beginnings. We need to be faithful with what the Lord's called us to. There's always ministries in the fellowship. There's always some of the most beautiful ministry, I believe, without a doubt is ministering to the children because that's the future, man. And those who minister to the children will be incredibly blessed. But when it comes to waiting on the Lord, you know, what does that look like? Go to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. Now it's interesting. Isaiah chapter, the first 39 chapters of Isaiah are mostly about judgment. Verses 40 through 66 are much more about comforting God's people, amen? And the northern kingdom had gone into captivity 150 years or so before the southern kingdom of Judah had gone into captivity. But in these chapters, he's dealing with the kingdom of Judah and so forth, and God having restored, restoring his people and uh, the, the huge obstacles they're going to face. He's encouraging them in the Lord. And we don't know, I mean, look what they're going through in Ukraine right now. You know, six months ago, they had no clue what was coming. We don't have any clue what could be coming. Now's the time to begin to wait on the Lord and know that you're seeking him, amen? Because you're gonna see that these promises are conditional. Look at verse 31, though. Or verse, uh, I'm sorry. 
I just, I just think it's uh, quite amazing when you look at these verses. Verse 31, yet those who wait for the Lord will what? Gain new strength. You, anybody here want new strength? I do. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Amen? Now look at the context here. Look at verse 30, 25. To whom uh, then, back up a little bit, verse 25, to whom then will you liken me that I would be his equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created all these stars. Who's created these stars? In other words, the one who created the stars is the one we need to look to. I mean, just one small sun in our, which is huge, but it's a medium-sized star, and there's billions and trillions of stars. Mind-boggling. Lift up your eyes and see who created these stars. The one who leads forth their host by number. He, and he leads them. A lot of times they thought the stars were stationary. God said he leads them. You know what? They're moving at, you know, 1,000 miles an hour. You know, this earth is moving at hundreds and hundreds of miles an hour. Not only rotating, but, but go through space. And yet, you think you'd be more dizzy than you are, right? Some of you are like, I'm plenty dizzy. I think I feel it, you know. But it's just crazy, gravity. I mean, God's saying, look to him. It says, he calls them all by name because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. So he's talking about his wisdom and his power. Not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? In other words, you know, like deism, like, you know, God doesn't really recognize me. No, even the stars he knows by name, amen? amen. He even commands them. And he says, do you not know? Have you not heard? And he's talking about those who are discouraged. Do you not know? Have you not heard the everlasting God? That's Paul said he's eternal, right? Immortal. We just read that in verse 17 of 1 Timothy. And Paul was strengthened by this God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary and tired. That just blows me away. He creates the entire universe. He didn't rest after the sixth day because he's like, oh, oh, that's a lot of work. No, he wasn't tired. Does he get tired like us? He does not get tired. He does not grow weary or tired. Now listen, look what it says. His understanding is inscrutable. Verse 29, he gives strength to who? He gives strength to the weary. Amen, you weary, he gives you strength. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble, stumble badly. So even young people, man, who they get tired eventually. I watch my grandkids up, my wife is like, wow, if we could bottle their energy in, but guess what? Eventually they're all out. And I'm still going, I pace myself though, you know? But they are, they're kaput. Even young people, if you think, seem to have boundless energy, man, they get tired too. Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men, vigorous young men stumble badly. Verse 31, yet those who what? Wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not be weary. How many of you want to mount up with wings like eagles to fly in the heavens when you seek the Lord? How many, because we're called to run the race to win for the eternal crown, right? How many want to run the race to win? Well, guess what? He'll give you the energy to finish that race, amen? How many know that we're called to walk worthy of the calling with which we've been called? Ephesians chapter four, verse one. Colossians chapter two, as you've received Christ, so walk in him. How many of you want power to walk in Christ? Well, guess what? He gives, you know, he, he'll cause you like an eagle to mount up with wings like eagles. He'll give you power and empower you so you can run your race and not get tired. 
so you can walk your walk and not grow weary. And that's an amazing reality. That's a beautiful, powerful truth. And that's the context is amazing. And the word renew right there in the Hebrew, it's kind of interesting. It means to exchange, right? To change one thing from another. And I like it that I'm not just saying, hey, Lord, give me physical strength, more of my physical strength. No, he wants to give us his supernatural strength, his dunamis, the power of his Holy Spirit, amen? So that's why we need to be in prayer, saying, here I am, Lord, send me, use me. And that should be our constant prayer. Everybody here in this fellowship should be prayer warriors for Jesus. And that blessed hope, we're neither cessationists or sensationists. And what I mean by that is there's two huge errors in the church today. There are uh, sensationalists, okay, and there are cessationists. Cessationists are those who say the gifts of the Spirit have ceased. The Holy Spirit no, real, not, doesn't really work today like he did before. And, you know, they don't even, some of these churches, if I started naming names, you'd recognize some of the names where they won't even put oil on you. When it says to the elders of the church to anoint uh, the, oil, the sick with oil, which is a symbol of the Holy Spirit, amen, and pray for them, okay? I'm not saying that. That would be, say, John MacArthur's church. You go up there and say, I want prayer, I want oil, but I'm like, no, we don't believe in that. Not for today. Show me where it's not for today. Now, that's not a salvific issue. It doesn't make them damned or anything, but it's just an issue. It's just not biblical, though, to, to take that posture. Or if, you, or if the Lord warns you through a dream or something, nope, God doesn't use dreams anymore. That must be demonic. You must have had a dream from a demon or something. What? You know, where does it say that in the Bible? The Bible says, let all things be done. Decent in order. The Bible says, despise not prophesying. The Bible says, uh, you know, quench not the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, do not forbid speaking in tongues. It says all these. It warns about saying these aren't for today. Amen? But also, there's also not just the cessationist, there's the other extreme. There's a sensationalist, which is always about miracles. That God wants us to, you know, it's all about miracles. And, you know, and then you have the Bethel guy, you know, big so-called revival, supposedly. Not, not though, not really. And they're doing Gandalf's, you know, wizard's staff from Lord of the Rings. And they're pounding on the ground saying they're releasing, you know, forces through this, this wizard's staff, you know. Right there, I mean, Bill Johnson and the other guys are just doing it together. Like, like, what are you guys doing? I thought you believed in the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, that's not the power of the Holy Spirit. And they, get, and they say false prophecies all the time. And they say, well, really, if you're a true prophet, you should have false prophecies too. What? That's the mark of a false prophet. We've played their audio tapes on our, you know, our, uh, pod, our Good Fight podcast where they say these things. It's just crazy. Leaders. That's sensationalism. Name it, claim it. God wants everybody healthy and wealthy. And where you get the other extreme. But really, you, put the, you go to Corinthians, I read where it says, let all things be done decently and in order. Two together. I read in 1 Thessalonians 5 where it says, Despise not prophesying, quench not the spirit, but then it says, test everything, hold fast that which is good. There's a biblical balance, amen? So if somebody claims that God put a word in their hearts and gave them a dream and it's a warning, well, guess what? If you're saying it's from God and it doesn't come to pass, then you're never gonna be able to share anything like that again in our fellowship. Amen? If you say, well, I had this powerful dream, I'm not sure if it was God or not. Might've been too much pizza, but man, well, pray about it, bro, just watch and see. Okay, yep, too much pizza. I'm glad you said that, bro. Oh, no, oh, ooh, look what happened. Wow, praise God. He's, he's warning. Wow, good. So we need to, especially in these days, man, to be very aware of what the scriptures say because there's gonna be false signs and wonders. 
Satan, it says, will come, or the Antichrist, it says, will come in accordance with the work with, uh, working of Satan with all power and signs and all lying wonders and all the deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. But God gave them a strong delusion that they might believe the lie and they were condemned because they had pleasure in wickedness. They didn't love the truth. So there's gonna be a lot of false signs and wonders. Jesus said they'll be showing great signs and wonders deceiving if possible, even the very elect of God. Behold, they warn you in advance. Matthew 24, 24, and 25. So there's these warnings about these deceptions coming. But there's also warnings that last days, terrible times will come, and people with the former godliness in the church would deny the what? The dunamis, the power thereof. Amen? There's that side too. So that's why we have to have solid Christian doctrine so we're right in the middle of what God says. So you're not deceived by either group. Amen? That doesn't mean there's not sincere people. That's what I'm talking about on both sides. There are. But they're sincerely mistaken on these issues. Because I want to know, when I hear Jesus, when I read Jesus, and he says in Mark 13, when they bring you during the tribulation period up before civil leaders, kings, and so forth, don't premeditate what you're going to say, right? But the Holy Spirit will give you utterance and give you words to speak at that moment. I want to trust exactly what he's saying, not to say, well, that might not be for today. You kidding? He's talking about the tribulation period. That hasn't even happened yet. Or when the two witnesses are prophesying for 1,260 days. They're doing what? Prophesying. Shows you prophecy isn't done away with. And it's not just, you know, open the, go to Isaiah 42. No, it's like, they're prophesying. I mean, they're bringing fire down from heaven, doing all kinds of things. So you want to know what the scriptures say. Amen. And we want to be, make sure that we are biblically sound. Now, man, uh, so when you look at this passage in Isaiah, it's quite profound in Isaiah 40 verse, uh, when you read the context there. He's going to give us the wings of eagles, man. Now, Think about this. He's talking about power here. Lift you up on eagle's wings. Now think about it. This is a great picture. You know what? It occurred to me as I was studying this through and thinking about it. Like, wow, Lord, I didn't see that because I've done messages on eagles before. But I wanted to wrap my brain around what he's saying more there. You remember when I've taught in Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. That, that alcohol is a, a deception for getting drunk on it is a deception. It's a lie to replace the Holy Spirit. And people, you don't want to be comfortable drinking. You want to be comfortable with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. And let him give you his fruit, peace and love and joy and so forth. Amen? But I'll tell you what, man. When you think about it, I, I, I talk about that word filled. Be filled with the Holy Spirit's command. And the Holy Spirit being filled, I, I've told you before that that word filled is sometimes used of a sail of a sailboat that's filled with air, filled with wind that carries it across. And it's a beautiful picture because the word for spirit there is pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A, pneuma. And that's where we get the word breath or wind, okay? It's the same as spirit. In the Old Testament, the word Hebrew root is rock, rock. And that word is the word for spirit and wind as well. So he's saying be filled with the pneuma, that, could, yeah, that terminology, filled with the wind, could be used of sailing. But he's using it of us being filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, guess what? If you're just not seeking the Lord and waiting on him and crying out to the Lord to be about his business and bear fruit, you're going to be like a, a little stick in the mud, man. You're going to be like a little sailboat where there's, there's plenty of wind to move on, but you're just stuck because you refer, refuse to unfurl, unfurl your, your sails. But what hit me today, I was like, wow, Lord, that's powerful. When you think it through, it's the same picture yet with the eagles. Because what do the eagles do? They're up perched high on the cliffs, right? 
And what do they do? They just unfurl their wings and they catch that wind and they ride that updraft and they just, they don't have to use a lot of their own energy at all. They're just like, just flying. It's like, wow. And that's what the Lord is saying. His power is already there for you. Guess what you do? When you pray, when you say, Lord, here am I, send me. Lord, use me to your glory. Guess what happens? You're unfurling your sail. You're spreading your eagle wings, amen? And then you can coast. If you're not praying, you're jumping off the cliff without spreading your wings. Or you're sitting there in a boat and the sail's right there, all you have to do. So I look at it, when I lift my hands in prayer, that's when I lift my sail. I look at that a lot of times. I'm lifting my sail, Lord, for you, please empower me. Or now I look at it as I'm lifting my sail or I'm lifting my wings, Lord. Just give me that undercurrent. I need your strength because I can't do it on my own. And my wife will tell stories sometimes. And when she tells people, sometimes as we went, we've been on so many mission trips. We went to the Netherlands. We had no idea how the Netherlands, how the Dutch, they're like the Germans, they're Germanic. So they're like Netherlands, the lower lands of Germany, basically. And they have a work ethic like it's crazy. So you get there right when you hit the ground, there your schedule's going until you're like wiped out at the end of the day. And they don't account for, oh, do you think you might have jet lag? Let's take a day or two off. No, they don't. Some people, some ministries you go somewhere, they give you the first day off. There it's like, We've got to be there. Boom, 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 boom. I love it though. And my wife's like, they're all wiped out. The whole trip almost. Trying to catch their bearings. And my wife's like, you're up earliest. You're to bed latest. And I got to prepare. I got to preach. And, and I have no like, by the grace of God, nothing to do with me. Believe me. Okay. She's like, how do you not feel all wiped out? By the grace of God, I tell her. I say, because I got to preach. And God knows I got to preach. So I need, I need the energy. You know, if somebody else is preaching, you can probably give them the energy. I'll be like, oh. You know, but that, but, but I'm not just saying I need the energy. I'm saying, Lord, please strengthen me. Please empower me. You know, of course, when I get home, man, I have, I probably sleep till 10 o'clock or something, you know, first time I sleep in or whatever, but it's all by his power and we need to wait on the Lord. Now look what he says in Isaiah 41, 13 and 14, the context about what's he talking about giving them the wings of eagles, you know? But hey, you're not going to be able to run and not grow weary unless you wait on the Lord. You're not going to be able to walk and not get tired unless you wait on the Lord. You're not going to be able to ride and soar like the, on the wings of eagles unless you wait on the Lord. That's the key, amen? But look at 41, 13 and 14. For I am the Lord your God who upholds your right hand, who says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Do not fear, you worm, Jacob, you men of Israel. Whoa, what is he saying to them there? You worm, Jacob. Men of Israel, I will help you, declares the Lord. And your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Behold, I have made you a new and sharp threshing sledge with double edges. You will thresh the mountains and pulverize them and will make the hills like chaff. What in the world is going on there? He's talking about a big enemy that they're going to face. I don't have time to get in the context of the whole, or real deep into the context here. But this is heavy stuff. Because they go from being a worm, you worm, Jacob, Worms can't move mountains. They can make a little hole, you know, to becoming like this double-edged threshing deal that's going to just pulverize mountains. What's he doing? He's trying to let us know that without him, we're like worms. Jacob. Jacob is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob is their ancestor. Jacob was a worm. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Amen? You're descendants of that worm, you're a worm too. And he was kind of wormy, okay? I mean, think about it. Remember Jacob? His brother is out there, Esau, hunting. 
and he's out there with the mama's boy, you know. And remember, then he takes his brother's birthright. Then he hides and tells another. He's hiding for 20 years, fearful. Then he goes among his Canaanite neighbors later. He's afraid to go back, and then God works that out. And then he's among his Canaanite neighbors, and his daughter's raped. He's afraid to say anything and even complain about it. Remember that? Because it's like they might band together and destroy us. He was a worm. But then God changed his heart and gave him strength. Look at Abraham. He struggled until he cried out to God, and then God empowered him. We have to seek the Lord, guys. They were men of God that began to learn to seek the Lord. And God supernaturally empowered them. But they were worms, scrawny, emaciated, spiritually speaking. Remember Popeye? Was Popeye a tough guy? Without the spinach. Skinny kind of, you know, guy, you know, boom, man. Spinach, muscles pop. Then he could face, what was that guy? Bluto. Brutus? Brutus. Bluto. Is there a Bluto around? He was Bluto too? Oh, there was Bluto and Brutus. Okay, I got to get my cartoons right, man. But uh, then all of a sudden, he was like, empowered. That's us by the power of the Holy Spirit. We could face the evil Bluto or Bluto and Brutus at the same time, right? (laughs) Uh, Because when we seek the Lord and we're powered by the Holy Spirit, we can face down our enemy. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we can overcome the powers of darkness. But guess what? We cannot get there until we confess that without your power, God, we are worms. And until we confess our sins, we got to confess our sins. Lord, I'm not just weak without you, but I'm a sinner. I need to be cleansed by Jesus' blood. That's the secret of waiting on the Lord. Confessing your sin, saying, Lord, I need the precious blood of Christ to cleanse me. I need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And by the way, the difference between Popeye before spinach and after, there'll be a far bigger difference between your walk than Popeye's after you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Because he gives us new strength. He gives us new power. Psalm 40 verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and he heard my cry. So it's important that we exchange our strength for new strength, that we recognize the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Psalm chapter 130, verses five through seven says this. I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait, and in his word do I hope. So guess what? Your waiting on the Lord is based on a expectation of God's word because God is true, he's faithful, it will come to pass. You have confidence because you're seeking his will, amen? Then verse six says, my soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. So he's saying, even as a watchman, he's been working all night, fatigued, can't wait for the morning and the light to come, he's waiting for the Lord. Having, just as a watchman knows that morning's gonna come, he knows the Lord's gonna show up. So it's having an expectation that the Lord's going to show up and meet your needs according to his riches and glory, amen? And then it's also based on God's steadfast character. Verse seven goes on to say, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is loving kindness, and with him is abundant redemption. So we can trust and wait on the Lord because he has a great, he's got a good character. Now he's all powerful, but he's filled with loving kindness. In fact, he wants to strengthen us. Did you know God wants to empower you? He longs to. 2 Corinthians 69 says, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strength or strong support to those whose heart is blameless. Psalm 64, 6 says this, from of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear nor eye or has seen God's beside, God besides you, who acts for those, who acts for those, those, who acts for those who wait for him. Wow. 
He acts for those. You want God to act for you? Acts for those who wait for him. David waited 15 years. A lot of those years with Saul chasing him before he took the throne of Israel. Joseph waited 17 years before God promoted him in Egypt. Moses waited 40 years in the wilderness before the Lord used him to save his people out of Egypt. Paul waited a few years in Arabia. Jesus waited 30 years after he said, the volume of the book is written of me when he was in the, his mother's womb, 30 years before his ministry started. Wow. It's just awesome, you know? So the Lord wants to use us. He wants to empower us. He wants to grow us. And he, it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 5, there are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. So Paul says, I thank the Lord Jesus, right? Why? Because he strengthened me. Why? Because he considered me, he considered me faithful. And, and what was he doing? It says he made me a servant. He strengthened me for service. God expects you to serve. Are you serving? We're all called to serve. Every cell in your body, unless it's a cancer cell, is serving your body. We're the body of Christ. And either we're cancer cells not doing anything, because that's what cancer cells, they don't do anything. Or we're serving. So you want to make sure you're, and it could be simple things, just encouraging other people, praying with other people, praying for other people, loving other people. There's all kinds of ways it talks about in scripture that they served. In fact, in Romans 12, 6 and 7, it refers to the spiritual gift of serving. In Acts 6, 1, they served by giving food, meeting the practical needs of the church. The word deacon comes from this diaconus, this word for serve here. And the deacons were servants and they, they were different than the elders and the apostles and pastors who served the spiritual needs of the church, but the deacons met the physical needs of the church. Those all are legitimate means. You need both, amen? That's how the body of Christ worked. Acts eleven twenty nine. Paul uses the word, or diaconia, I'm sorry, is used, refers to the monetary contribution for famine relief, okay? So this word is, these words are used over and over again, and God wants all of us to serve, amen? He wants to use each and every one of us, amen? So I'm just gonna close by just reminding you some things. Be thankful for his grace, amen? Just how do you apply this to your, your walk? Be thankful for his grace, amen? Be thankful. Don't be like those people that just became grumbling even though their situation was way better. You should be going to hell, so should I. Be thankful for his grace. Number two, rely on his power, not on your own power, amen? Number three, wait on the Lord in humility and prayer, recognizing you're a worm without him, amen? Amen? Remember that you are a servant of the Lord. Amen? Remember that with him, you can move mountains. Amen? And lastly, number seven, don't bury your talents. Jesus talked about three men in his parable of the talents there in Matthew chapter 25. He gave out eight talents. He gave the first guy five. He gave the next guy two. He gave the next guy one. And he was on a long journey, and he wanted to make sure his talents were used right. And a talent, by the way, in those days, it would take one man, one working man, average working man, his lifetime to earn what would be a talent. It would equal his pay up to a talent at the end of his life. So he gave eight of these out. He came back. The first two men doubled their talents, right? Well done. Good and faithful servant. Wow. The last guy, he just gave one talent. He goes, well, I was afraid to do anything with it, so... I hid it, I buried it in the ground. It says, take that worthless servant, right? Throw him into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. We've all been given, called to service. We've been all called to serve the Lord, amen? Take the talent the Lord has given you, the spiritual gifting he's given you, and use it for God's glory, amen? 
Do not bury it. Amen. Let's be servants and let's be thankful that it's a privilege. Not like, oh, I got to serve the Lord. It's like, I can't believe you not only saved me, but you're letting me serve you. Look at it as a privilege as it is. Paul, if Paul said, hey, if he could save me, that's what Paul's saying here. Save me, the chief sinners, and he could use me, he'll save you and he'll use you. Amen. Glory be to God. Let's stand.